turn in your Bibles, please, to 1 Samuel chapter 12. We continue to study through the first book of Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 12, beginning with verse 1. And so said to all Israel, Behold, I have obeyed your voice and all that you have said to me, and have made a king over you. And now behold, the king walks before you, and I am old and gray, and behold, my sons are with you. I have walked before you from my youth until this day. Here I am. Testify against me before the Lord and before his anointed. Whose ox have I taken or whose donkey have I taken? Or whom have I defrauded? Whom have I oppressed? Or from whose hand have I taken a bribe to blind my eyes with it? Testify against me and I'll restore it to you. They said, you have not defrauded us or oppressed us or taken anything from any man's hand. And he said to them, The Lord is witness against you, and his anointed is witness this day, that you have not found anything in my hand. And they said, He is witness. And Samuel said to the people, The Lord is witness, who appointed Moses and Aaron and brought your fathers up out of the land of Egypt. Now, therefore, stand still that I may plead with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous deeds of the Lord that he performed for you and for your fathers. When for you and for your fathers. When Jacob went into Egypt and the Egyptians oppressed them, then your fathers cried out to the Lord. And the Lord sent Moses and Aaron, who brought your fathers out of Egypt and made them dwell in this place. But they forgot the Lord their God. And he sold them into the hand of Sisera, commander of the army of Hazor, and into the hand of the Philistines, and into the hand of the king of Moab. And they fought against him, and they cried out to the Lord and said, We have sinned because we have forsaken the Lord, and have served the Baals and the Asheroth. And, but now deliver us out of the hand of our enemies, that we may serve you. And the Lord sent Jeroboam and Barak and Jephthah, and Samuel, and delivered you out of the hand of your enemies on every side, and you lived in safety. And when you saw that Nahash, the king of the Ammonites, came against you, you said to me, No, but a king shall reign over us, when the Lord your God was your king. And now behold, the king whom you have chosen, for whom you have asked, behold, the Lord has set a king over you, if you will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice, and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then if both you and the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God, it will be well. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you and your king. Now therefore stand still and see this great thing that the Lord will do before your eyes. Is it not wheat harvest today? I will call upon the Lord that he may send thunder and rain. And you shall know and see that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord in asking for yourselves a king. So Samuel called upon the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day. And all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. And all the people said to Samuel, Pray for your servants to the Lord your God that we may not die. For we have added to all our sins this evil to ask for ourselves a king. And Samuel said to the people, Do not be afraid. You have done all this evil. 
Yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver, for they are empty. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. And I will instruct you in the good and the right way. Only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. For consider what great things he has done for you. But if you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. And may God add his rich blessing to the reading of this portion of his holy word. Will you pray with me, please? Our Father, again, we thank you for your holy word. And we pray that you would come now and that by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would uh, teach us uh, your word, that you would uh, open our eyes, that we might behold wondrous things out of thy law, and that your word would take us to your Son, Jesus Christ, that we might go to him and have life. And we pray that you would do this in spite of the inability and sin of the preacher. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated, please. Have you considered what God has done for you? In this passage, 1 Samuel 12, the prophet Samuel is, by his own words, old and gray. This is not the last time that we will see Samuel as he passes from the scene, but now King Saul has been established. The people have demanded a king, and Samuel has been the king maker and anointed Saul king. And now that there is this transition to the time of kingship, Samuel the prophet gifts. And we see as he opens this uh, farewell address in the early verses of chapter 12 that he asked the people to come and testify to him if he had defrauded them of anything, if he had taken anything uh, from them, a bribe or uh, their livestock. And they have no charges against him. Here he is not uh, tooting his own horn, uh, bragging on uh, what a a good man he has been, but he is affirming the integrity of the word of God. He is the one through whom the Lord has spoken to his people. And it is very important that he maintain uh, his integrity and that his integrity as the one who brings the word of the Lord to the people, that it is made clear and evident. And so he affirms the integrity of the word that God has delivered through them. And then as he delivers this address from God, 
he brings it to its conclusion and states the theme in verse 24. Only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. For consider what great things he has done for you. This message from this now old man who has been consistently a man of integrity. His message is a call to remember what God has done for you. Let's do that now together. First, in this passage, consider the Lord's deliverance. Consider his deliverance. Look at verse 6. And Samuel said to the people, The Lord is witness who appointed Moses and Aaron and brought your fathers up out of the land of Egypt. Now therefore stand still that I may plead with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous deeds of the Lord that he performed for you and for your fathers. When Jacob went into Egypt and the Egyptians oppressed them, when your fathers cried out to the Lord and the Lord sent Moses and Aaron who brought your fathers out of Egypt and made them dwell in this place. Now Samuel mentions two big uh, periods in their history in which the Lord delivered them. First, the time of the Exodus, the event of the Exodus, and secondly, the era of the judges. First, the Exodus. We know the story as Samuel recounts it to us. God's people were oppressed, enslaved in Egypt. Their lives were bitter with hard bondage. And their groaning came up before God. They cried out to the Lord and God raised up Moses and Aaron. And the Lord delivered them from out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Simple enough. God delivered his people. God delivered his people. But look at verse 9. But they forgot the Lord their God. And he sold them into the hand of Sisera, commander of the army of Hazor, and into the hand of the Philistines, and into the hand of the king of Moab. And they fought against them. These are the events that are recorded for us in the book of Judges. When the people had come out of Egypt and inherited the promised land, had settled and were ruled by the judges. This was the cycle that happened again and again and again. 
God delivered his people. They forgot God. They turned to idols. The idols of their pagan neighbors. God then judged his people and brought the pagan neighbors against his people. Then the people cried out to God and he raised up a deliverer. After they were delivered, they forgot God. They turned to idols. God again poured out judgment on them. Again they cried out to God. Again God raised up a deliverer. And then again they forgot the Lord and came under judgment. And round and round and round it went. And look at verse 10. And they cried out to the Lord and said, We have sinned because we have forsaken the Lord and have served the Baals and the Asheroth. But now deliver us out of the hand of our enemies that we may serve you. And the Lord sent Jeroboam and Barak and Jephthah and Samuel and delivered you out of the hand of your enemies on every side. And you lived in safety. Now, of course, these names mentioned in verse 11, uh, Jeroboam, we know him better as Gideon, but that is who it is. Uh, Barak, Jephthah, these were judges. Samuel himself, the prophet, was uh, a judge, really the last of the uh, period of the judges, that time in Israel's history. But the point is, it was the Lord who raised up Moses. It was the Lord who raised up Barak and Gideon, Samuel, Jephthah, Ahud, Samson. It was the Lord. It was the Lord who heard the cries of his people. It was the Lord who showed mercy to his people who had forsaken and forgotten him. It was the Lord who delivered his people for his people. It was the Lord who saved his people. And then once he had fought for them, delivered them, and saved them, they forgot him. And now, at this time, they have forgotten him again. They have forgotten the Lord's deliverance. And so, Samuel, in this farewell address, calls the people to remember to consider the Lord's deliverance. Secondly, in this passage, we're called to consider the Lord's correction. Look at verse 12. And when you saw that Nahash, the king of the Ammonites, came against you, you said to me, No, but a king shall reign over us when the Lord your God was your king. And now behold, the king whom you have chosen, for whom you have asked, behold, the Lord has set 
a king over you. The same thing has happened. They have forgotten the Lord again. They have rejected him again. Once again, they want to be like the pagans. The pagans worship Baal and Asheroth. We want to worship Baal and Asheroth. That's the story of the time of the judges. Now, the pagans all have uh, mighty kings. We want to have a king. And so, as he did before, when his people forgot him and wanted to be like everybody else, the Lord now sends judgment on his people. And he has judged them by giving them what they asked for. Verse 13, Now behold the king whom you have chosen, for whom you have asked. Behold, the Lord has set a king over you. So many times, the worst thing God could do to us is give us exactly what we want. And here he has judged the people by giving them what they demanded. But for God's children, even his judgment is mercy. He sends judgment on his children in order to correct us, to turn us back to him. This is why he raised up their enemies, why he raised up Sisera and the Philistines and the Moabites in the book of Judges to make his people turn back to cry out for his mercy once again and come home. Look at verse 15. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you and your king. Now therefore, stand still and see this great thing that the Lord will do before your eyes. Is it not wheat harvest today? I will call upon the Lord that he may send thunder and rain and you shall know and see that your wickedness is great which you have done in the sight of the Lord in asking for yourselves a king. So Samuel called upon the Lord and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day and all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. Here Samuel prays for a judgment. For the Lord to send a terrible storm now that it is time for the wheat harvest. That could destroy the crops. And as the thunder begins to rumble. And the rain begins to fall. The people greatly fear. Verse 19. And all the people said to Samuel, Pray for your servants to the Lord your God, that we may not die, for we have added to all our sins this evil. 
to ask for ourselves, the king. Lord has brought his people to repent, to seek mercy, to confess their sin. These people who were so determined to have a king and be like all the other nations that didn't have God on their side. Now the judgment has proven to be a mercy. Storm that threatened their crops. My family on my mother's side, it was Pearl, my grandmother, and that side of my family came from the northeastern corner of North Carolina, just as the crow flies, maybe 30 miles inland from the outer banks on the Albemarle Sound. Been out that way, you know, it's very flat land, fertile land, very agricultural. My granddaddy's people all farmed in the last year before he moved to the Piedmont. Three hurricanes came, destroyed everything. Three in one season. Back in the early 1950s. This is what they're facing. Don't think of a passing thunderstorm. Think of a hurricane. And now they beg for mercy. The Lord sends a judgment to correct his people. And they turn back. You know, Psalm 119 says it was good that I was afflicted. That I didn't get too far away from my God. I'll give a personal illustration. If I were to take off my jacket, roll up my sleeve on my right arm, you would see that right here, inside my elbow, I've got a scar where I had about three stitches. 25 years ago, 24, 25 years ago, I reckon now. I have those stitches because of a dog bite. That came at a time in my life, I was 15, nearly 16 years old, and I remember at that time and as a teenager, I was running away from the God I was raised to believe in as hard as I possibly could. But everywhere I ran, I just got in more trouble. And I began to feel that I was pounding my head against a brick wall trying to get away from God. And I was beginning to get the sense that this is not going to work. And on this one particular day, I had gotten in plenty of trouble, and 
I'm not going to tell you what all happened that day, but I'll tell you this. At the end of the day, when I'd already gotten in more trouble than I could imagine with my friend I was with that day, as I was leaving his house to go home, I reached over to pet his dog, and his dog, that was scratchy dog on the ear, and his dog, who had always been pretty pleasant to me, just jumped up, ripped a chunk out of my arm. I had to go get three stitches after everything else that happened that day. I've always felt like the Lord did that to put a little scar on me that I could always look down and remember that time when I was trying as hard as I could to get away from God. And he was going to send whatever it took to keep me from getting too far away. Even a dog had to jump up and bite me in the arm. It's his mercy. It's his mercy to pour out his judgment on his children in order to bring them back. It is not a pleasant thing, but it is a necessary reality. So we are told to consider the Lord's deliverance, to consider the Lord's correction. And thirdly and finally in this passage, we are told to consider the Lord's covenant. The Lord's covenant. Look at verse 20. And Samuel said to the people, do not be afraid. You have done all this evil, yet you do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And do not turn aside after the empty things that cannot profit or deliver, for they are empty. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great namesake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. Now, verse 20 almost uh, seems incongruous. He says at the beginning, do not be afraid. You have done all this evil. They confess they've been evil. They've forsaken God again and again. And now once again, they've forsaken the God who has delivered them. And he says to them, do not be afraid. Yes, you have done all the evil that you just confessed. How can he say you have done all this evil, but do not be afraid? He says in verse 22, for the Lord will not forsake his people, his people for his name's sake because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. God has bound himself to his people. That's what we call a covenant. God bound himself to his people. You bound yourself to your husband, to your wife. You made a covenant before God. God has bound himself to his people. He was pleased to make you a people for himself. 
for his great name's sake. God is not obliged to show us mercy for our sins. The very definition of mercy is it's not owed to you. God doesn't owe us mercy for our sins. He owes us. We're owed nothing but judgment, hell. But God has obligated himself. He has bound himself. He has taken it upon himself to bind himself to show mercy to his people for his name's sake. And therefore, the very integrity and honor and glory of God himself is bound up in his mercy to his people. Though his people, though we do not deserve his mercy because of his covenant, because of his oath, when we repent and confess our sins, He will be faithful to his word and forgive us. John tells us if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I say it carefully. But because of what God has bound himself in Jesus Christ, by his covenant, though we do not deserve it, it would be true to say that if we confessed our sins and pled the blood of Jesus Christ, it would be unfaithful and unjust of God not to forgive our sins because he can't break his word. God cannot break his covenant. And so even though they have sinned, there is hope for these people. There is even hope for the king. He says in verse 14, look at it. If you will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord. And if both you and the king reigns over you will follow the Lord your God, it will be well. Even though it was evil for you to demand a king and even though the king you're going to get is a judgment, there is the opportunity for this thing to go well if you will serve the Lord because the Lord loves his people that much. And the Lord in his mercy has also provided for them an intercessor. Look at verse 23. Moreover, as for me, Samuel says, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you, and I will instruct you in the good and the right way. They have someone who is praying 
The same Samuel who prayed for the storm to come and threaten the cross. And turn these people back to God. Says far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. God is faithful and just to forgive our sins for Jesus' sake. The blood of Jesus has satisfied the sins of his people. It has satisfied the judgment of God. Whatever your sin is, however great it may be, the blood of Jesus is greater. And if you take it to God through the blood of Jesus, it's gone. It's forgotten for all eternity. Jesus is our intercessor. The scripture says that Jesus has been raised from the dead and that in his resurrection he lives in the power of an indestructible life and in his indestructible life he ever lives above to make intercession for us. John says, I write these things that you may not sin, but if any man sins, we have an advocate. With the Father, Jesus, the Son of God, who is the propitiation. He is the sacrifice that takes away our sins before the throne of God above. I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. Many of you know the story in the spring of 1863 when General Thomas Jackson, known as Stonewall throughout the world, was mortally wounded in the Battle of Chancellorsville, Virginia, and came down with pneumonia. He was recovering from the amputation of his left arm, and he died. That his body was ordered to be uh, was laid in state in the capital of the Commonwealth of Virginia before it was moved to Lexington for the funeral service. And thousands of people lined up 
to file through the line and pay respect to General Jackson in the Capitol building. And the day before the funeral, uh, it's time to close the doors, shut it down, and get him ready to be hauled by wagon to Lexington. And the doors were shut. One old Confederate veteran pounded again and again on the door until they opened it and said, I got to come in and see the general one last time. They said, no, we have to close this down. And he raised up the stump, what was left of his right arm that had been blown off in battle below the shoulder. And he said, by the stump of my right arm, which I gave for my country, I demand the right of seeing my general one last time. It so happened that Governor John Letcher of the Commonwealth of Virginia was standing within earshot and heard this. And he said to the MPs at the door, let this man in. He has one entrance by his wounds. Jesus Christ, our intercessor before the throne of God, has one hour entrance, has one hour forgiveness, has one hour access to the throne of God by his wounds. So consider what great things God has done for you. Fear him and serve him faithfully with your whole heart. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.